Welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Serdana Osban, here with my friend Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Yevamot, daf Ayin Gimel, page 73. So we're going to take a really big detour. We're like, I don't even remember that we're in Masachat Yevamot because we've been spending so much time talking about Truma. And today we're going to get on an even bigger detour about some other agricultural um, meets boat. And what I would actually say is part of the theme of this daf is, is comparing Truma to other categories, right? Uh, either Master Shani and Bikurim or later to Kudshim and thinking about what's different between the categories, right? Or where are they similar? And so if you look on um, Amud Aleph, right, there's a, uh, basically they have this discussion that maybe this Atana gave a list uh, that where he didn't complete or he didn't uh, give a full list of all the laws that apply to Master Shinim Bikurim, but not uh, but not to Truma. And so uh, so the Gemara says, you know, so the Gemara basically wants to know the following. So where there's a law that it's basically forbidden to burn Master Shinim Bikurim for one's personal use when they're Tame. So this is really a very, very important law. And I just want to spend a little bit of time on it. So truma, if something becomes tame and it's truma, you can't eat it, but you're allowed to burn it. And what we mean by using it for personal uses, let's say you have oil, uh, you know, that became tame that was truma. You're allowed to, you have to burn that oil. You can't eat it, but you can burn it in a way that you could use it for cooking, or you can use it to heat your home. You can still use it for personal use. When it comes to Master Shani and Bikurim, if they become Tame, you are not use. You can't get any benefit out of them. The Ochlim Bitumat Atzman Lokach. And the law also is with Master Shani and Bikurim is that if they're eaten where they're Tame, right, you are actually going to get uh, Malkut. And, and the Gemara will later go on to try to explain why that is. Masha Ain came Bitruma. This is not true in the case with uh with truma so even though a coin is not allowed to eat uh, a tummy coin is not allowed to eat tahor truma right there's actually no prohibition there's no negative commandment prohibiting a tahor coin from eating tummy truma and rather it's more that it's it, it's derived because of the positive commandment in other words because there's a positive commandment, right? That uh, that somebody that you have to eat it in a state of tahara, we infer from there that it means you can't eat it, can't eat the truma when you're tummy, but you don't get malkut on it. You wouldn't get lashes on it because there's not actually an explicit negative commandment. And I think that's something that's very interesting uh, about truma itself. Uh, Lo Kitani, the Mishnah didn't teach us, Alma Tani Vishayar. So we see that the Tana taught some of the laws, but not all of the laws. And so this is also a theme we see very often. Uh, when we have a Mishnah that sort of is giving a list or comparing things, often the Gemara is going to ask this question where it wants to know, is this a complete list or is this a partial list? Um, and, um, and, you know, even though we were talking about in the Mishnah, whether or not an RL, right, somebody who doesn't have a brimilah is prohibited to eat truma and bikurim, and that's not the case with Master Shani, right? 
it doesn't mean that Narel is, uh, you know, what it, what it wanted to talk about is, is that that Mishnah is not actually a complete Mishnah. And the Tana who taught that Mishnah didn't give anything. And so I think this is kind of like an existential question of the Mishnah. Because remember, Mishnah is a writing down of oral law. And therefore, it, it very often is sort of in a list format, right? Like, it's in a list of like, uh, you know, these are the things that are true of this, and it will list a bunch of items. And so therefore, part of what the Gemara needs to tease out is, when we have a Mishnah, is that a complete list? Is it a partial list? Why did the Tana teach it that way? Why did the Tana not include everything? And I, I, I think... When we think about the history of Mishnah and why it was written down and how it was written down, it makes a lot of sense that this is a question the Gemara asks very often on Mishnayos. Because if you're trying to preserve a particular oral tradition that's beginning to be lost and you have to start writing these things down, although again, just remember when we say writing things down, there wasn't printed press. I know I always make this point. So Mishnah was probably really memorized. Um, the Gemara needs to understand, or when we analyze Mishnah, we really need to understand, is that a full list or is there more for us to know also? What's a complete list? And I, I, I think it's actually a great question that the Gemara always asks about Mishnah because none of the Mishnahs say, this is your full list. It's almost like you sort of have to know whether it's a full list or not. And sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. And so I just wanted to point this question out because we do see this question appear in other cases as well. Okay. Um, I'm moving us to Amad Bet. And Amad Bet is also on this analysis of the Mishnah, basically. And it brings in a breita. Uh, the citation from the Mishnah is of Asurin Le'onen Rabbi Shimon Matir. Now, meaning this, they are prohibited to the Onen. And Onen is the person in the immediate, most extreme. Um, time period, I guess, of mourning, um, which is, you know, between the time of uh, the death of one of the seven close relatives and the time of the funeral, meaning there's that wait time where, and an onen is exempt from many, 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 many commandments, meaning um, not, you can't go violate negative commandments, but you, the onen is exempt from the positive commandments, at least, yeah, I mean, as a general principle. Rabbi um, Shimon Matir, and so I'm sorry. So, what is it that he's exempt from in this case? Specifically, we're talking about an onen being exempt, or in fact, forbidden, as it says, asurin, right? Forbidden um, from bikurim, from the first fruit, first fruits, and maser sheni, the second, the tithing of the second tithing, which is, you know, some. It's really it's four of the six years that are not shmita years in the cycle. You end up with. Um, there's, we've talked about this in the past, but let's just refresh. Truma, we've been talking about Truma. That's the gifts, right, that are given to the Levi. The co and then there's Truma Maser that the Levi gives to the Kohen, right? And then we've got Maser Shani or alternatively Maser Ani, depending on the year. And all of these are the Truma to Maser, meaning that's what we give. Um, and they have different rules. Maser Shani is where a person would take the, the value of the fruits really which is you know akin to the value but it's re then redeemed onto money and that person would then travel to Jerusalem and eat food in Yerushalayim um, in Jerusalem that that is like kind of I don't know it's transferred from the fruit from the foods you know fruits and vegetables onto the 
onto the coins. And then I want to say that this is a, a happy event, right? And I want to say that Bikurim is also a happy event. The Gemara doesn't describe it this way, but it, it's my intuitive understanding of why would these two things be the ones that are prohibited for the Onim, for the immediate mourner, the acute mourner, right? Somebody who's in that severe early stage of mourning. However, Rabbi Shimon, as he seems to be, disagrees, and he would allow this Onim to partake of Bikurim. So now the Gemara wants to know, where do we get this? Where do we get the idea that Bikurim are forbidden to begin with? Meaning, okay, Rabbi Shimon disagrees, but what about what about the Tanakhama? What's the Mishnah saying here? Diftiv. That was the Mishnah also. The Breita is explaining where the Mishnah is coming from. Diftiv lo tuchal lo tuchal lechol b'sharecha maser degancha v'tiroshcha v'itzarcha v'itzarecha. Meaning, it says specifically, this is a verse from Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 17, you may not eat within your gates um, the tithing of your dagan, of your grain, v'tiroshcha, of your vineyard, or your wine, I guess, v'yitzarecha, um, or of your oil. And then, v'gomer, that's the end of the verse, right? Um, it goes on to say, v'trumat yadecha, and the offering of your hand, using the word truma, which literally means, you know, the donation, or whatever, the donation of your hand. V'amar mar, so mar says, trumat yadecha, the phrasing here of trumat yadecha doesn't refer to truma. It refers to the donation of your hand, which is bikurim, which is the first fruits. Ve'itkash bikurim lamaser. And he says we draw this, you know, comparison, this juxtaposition between bikurim, the first fruits, and maser, and the maser sheni, meaning that second tithing. Ma maser asur onen, just as the maser sheni is prohibited um, to the onen. So too, Bikurim are going to be prohibited, meaning not because of any, there's no rationale here presented in terms of the essence of the nature of these particular um, gifts, let's say, but rather there's simply the connection from one to the other because of the way they are juxtaposed in the verse. Now, of course, that begs the question, why is it that Master Shani is forbidden to the Onain to begin with? And that is not that is not discussed at this time. Um, Rabbi Shimon, of course, Rabbi Shimon's position here is, is Truma Karinu, Karin Hu Rachmana. The Torah, Hashem, calls Bikurim Truma, Ma Truma Muteret Lonein, Af Bikurim Muteret Lonein. So he says, well, just the same way that Truma, regular Truma, what you're Dana, what you were talking about, the Truma that is the gifts of the tithings is permitted for an Onin to eat. So too, Bikurim should also be permitted to the Onain because the verse directly he agrees with the interpretation that says it's referring to Bikurim. That the word Truma is used, let's understand that the, what that teaches is to permit the eating of, of Bikurim by the Onain, even though, uh, meaning but specifically because of the word used there. So I think that this is actually kind of a, a nice... Um, Small, it goes on, but it's still a fairly small package of um, interpreting the verse. This verse that says you're not allowed to eat these things, and why? Why we have this machlokah? We don't always have a clear understanding of Rabbi Shimon, but in this case, I think the machlokah is pretty clear. Um, why one would say that you cannot have from an onet? You cannot eat. Why the onet cannot eat from bikurim, namely because it's akin to maser sheni, 
which is prohibited to the Onin, or because it's called Truma, like the same way that the the Onin can eat Truma, so too uh, one can eat Bikurim. Um, the only other thing I want to note on this stuff is much further on top of bet, we have a list there of, um, well, it's a mnemonic, right? And the mnemonic, it's it's like a you can recite it off and and remember and memorize it right and that's the that's the idea pigul notar carbon meila karid vasur onin meaning the idea here is when you and then the I'm sorry the the mnemonic lines up with this Rashi Tevot pei nun kuf ayin kaf samach which would be fenkakas whatever right meaning you could pronounce it and remember it to tick them off your fingers if you want. Um, you know, each one of these things is, um, well, you know, each one of them are going to be, um, part of the issues of these consecrated items, right? Whether you're going to find a stringency, and then the mnemonic is specifically stringencies that apply to the consecrated items, Kodesh, that do not apply to Truma. So again, Pigul, that's things that are, um, Pigul that become, it's the wrong time, right? It's, something's wrong with you the offering. You need a korban. It's, wrong... it's, it's left over. It's like a korban you're not eating at the right time. So the people is the, the kohen is the wrong There's a korban that gets left over. Korban is, um, it, it's an offering to God. Me'ila, something that's misused. So consecrated items that have been misused. Yeah. Wait, is this one thing about me'ila. They use the second letter for that one in the mnemonic. It's an ayin. Oh yeah, why. that's a good point. You're just totally to, right. Just because I, I like, looked at that. it, I was like, "Where's Meila in there?" But that's it's the iron. You're right. Um, and then karate, you know, karate is the punishment of getting cut off, right? But the point is that it's the punishment for somebody who would eat, um, um, who would eat kodesh while tame, and then um, asur onain, meaning that which is forbidden to the the onain. And then the question is, is that going to be, it's not going to be Truma, but is it Masertini and Bikurim or is it just Masertini? So again, the the idea here is, I guess Chazal are trying to make the remembering of these details easier, that you can rattle off a list. I feel like this is how people memorize like, you know, the digestive system and the the cardiovascular system, right? You just rattle off the, you come up with, you know, Rashi Tevot, um, acronyms that will provide you with a means to tick things off and so now we can all know you know these are the things that um are what do we, what do we say that they are where the punishment is for the if you handle the consecrated thing but they're but as opposed so there's still pretty um uh, whatever the thing that i find interesting here of course is that I find it easier to memorize the list than to memorize the spelling of the mnemonic. Because it's not a word, right? It, it's too long to be like convenient in that way. Yeah. Some, it's not some NASA. Some people do mnemonics, some people don't. I, to me, what's interesting about this whole stuff is all these different categories of food and they all have different halachot. Like sometimes Master Shani and Bikurim have things in common. Sometimes Master Shani and Shuma have things in common. Now, again, this is being written many years after many of these things are not actually taking place and being done by the Tanayim and Amorayim. But I guess I have like a practical question, which is like, were people so used to these different categories of food that the halachot around them were easy to remember and people just understood what to do? 
as opposed to like, I could see like you become an O name, God forbid. And you like have to figure out what your relationship is to all this food. I, you know, like you have a lot of other things on your mind, A. And B, an owning is a very transient category, right? Like you don't stay in owning that long. So is there even like enough time to get all the halachot and all the different things you have to do with different foods? Like, is there even time to get to that? So I just think it's interesting, like how well was this known, you know? Um, I think that's a good question. And I think that the keeping track of everything, I think probably, you know, it probably depended who your family was, how many, how much kahuna aspect do you really have to handle? How often were you going to be traveling to Yerushalayim ever? You know, like these things are not, my guess is that there was a range of people who were like, who became really experts and knowledgeable and they knew exactly. And probably other people had to like check their little handy dandy guidebook all the time to know which they, you know, look it up on the internet, right? To find out what the details were for those particular foods. That's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi e. Michelle Barber for hosting us on the Hydrant website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.